Welcome to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, keeping you connected to your faith and your world. Teresa tackles the issues of faith and culture, the pro-life message, and media awareness. And now, here's Teresa Tamio. And it's a sunny Tuesday morning in southeastern Michigan. Hope it's sunny wherever you are. Chilly, though, out there. 26 degrees and clear skies going up into the high 30s, though, so that's some good news. If you have any plans for outside, it is a Tuesday morning, and not just any Tuesday morning. It's February 13th, the day before Ash Wednesday, the day before Lent begins. Today is Fat Tuesday. So we'll be discussing a little bit of that, maybe the history of Lent and how it all started in our two-cent segment. The bottom of the hour, author, speaker, and theologian Dr. Thomas Williams will join us. He's written some articles on concerns over Pope Francis, and he's going to talk to us about Pope Francis criticizing those who are opposing the blessings document that came out in December. We'll get his feedback, and then also if we have time, Talk about Joe Biden claiming that climate change is more consequential than nuclear war. Dr. Greg Popcheck, co-host of More to Life, here right here on Ave Maria Radio and EW10. He's the executive director of the Pastoral Solutions Institute and also the director of the Peyton Institute for Domestic Church Life. He's going to be joining us on a number of issues, including a new study that came out. On families, I have a lot to talk about with Dr. Greg. And then Father Chris Alar joins us to talk about Ash Wednesday and Lent and giving us a good idea of how we can start this Lent and make it maybe our best Lent ever. Hey, I wanted to let you know yesterday I had a conversation, a Zoom call with the executive producer of the new film Cabrini that is actually being launched in the theaters on March 8th on National Women's Day or International Women's Day. What great timing for that beautiful film to be released on that day when so many people use it as a promotion for radical feminism and the opposite of what it's supposed to mean. But I sat down with them and we had a long discussion. They shared with me several clips from the film. I also uh, have a link to preview it. Didn't have a chance to do that last night, but Deacon Dom and I hopefully will watch it this evening. This is something I think we all need to rally behind. This is the kind of movie It's so well done from what I can see, and so many people are already weighing in on it. This is the kind of movie that can change hearts, minds, and lives and help change our culture. When we look at the culture of death and so many things that are just being heaped upon us day after day after day, and we see that study that came out yesterday that we mentioned, and Dr. Ray Grundy and I talked about it, how hopeless children are feeling and how so many young people are turning to drugs and alcohol because of that feeling of hopelessness. We need to give them hope that one person can make a difference, that lives can be changed by what you choose to do. God has a vocation for each of us, and if we pray and discern, he'll show us direction. That's what gives meaning to our lives. And that's what changes hearts one person at a time. And I knew a little bit about Mother Cabrini, being that she was an Italian immigrant and then became a citizen in the early 1900s. And it was really interesting to see those different scenes, especially when she arrived in New York City and saw all the discrimination against Italians. And it was like I was watching the lives of my grandparents and my great-grandparents before me because I heard so many stories about discrimination of the immigrants that came over. I mean, many of the Irish felt the same thing. Italians felt it. My mom and dad even talked about being discriminated against in school because of their ancestry. And I have a story in my Rosie book about my mom being teased and bullied because of her Italian heritage. And the poor, the way, I mean, they left Italy because they were so poor, especially in the southern part of the country where my family and Dominic's family hails from. But then it was really difficult for them to, you know, get a heads up and start and live a different life in New York City. And what triggered it was a report. Mother Cabrini was very, very smart. She was very astute. She was a smart businesswoman as well. And she went to the New York Times and brought one of the writers and editors into the slums where the Italians were living. And that story caused a lot of you know hornet's nest to be stirred up, but it also made a difference in terms of getting exposure for the issues. So anyway, this is premiering in the theaters March 8th. So put it down on your calendar. Just go to Angel Studios. That's who's distributing the movie. I'm very excited about it. I think it's going to be huge, and I hope that you can be part of this. This is something you take your family to, take your friends to. You see more than once. You organize it at your schools, especially high schools for girls and college students, because she was such a determined woman. 
and received so much pressure and so many things blocking what she tried to do, but she had a call in her heart from God, and she never gave up. She even pushed back against the leadership of the church, respectfully and lovingly, honoring, obviously, the hierarchy, but letting them know all the way up to the Pope what she needed to do. And she would not take no for an answer. And a cardinal told her, no, stay in your area up in Lombardy. You're doing great work there. You don't need to go to the United States. And then she goes to the Holy Father because the cardinal says, well, this is according to the Holy Father as well. She goes, well, then let me hear, hear it from him. And they have a discussion, and eventually we know she goes to the United States. But once she gets there, it's incredible the odds she was fighting, and the odds that, that she really didn't look like at first that she was going to get anything done. But her determination and her faith, most importantly, made all the difference of the world. So Mother Cabrini or Cabrini is in theaters on March 8th. Check it out, Angel Studios. And we're working on doing some promotions here at Ave Maria Radio after the meeting I had with them yesterday. Thanks to John Hale for putting me in touch with Eustace Wolfington, who's the executive producer, who was also involved in the film Bella. Just amazing, this movie. And this is what I always talk about when I mention the lives of the saints. You know, we're looking for heroes. We're looking for people in whom we can you know, put our trust or admiration, whatever, people that we admire that will motivate us. Well, here we have someone who's not that far off in terms of our lifetimes, where she lived in the 20th century. Of course, she was born in the 1800s, but she lived in, in the early part of the 20th century as well. Exciting news, so Kelly Walquist and I, along with Corporate Travel, have now put her hometown, her home, the convent where she lived in Lombardy, which is just south of Milan, on the itinerary for Wine and Shrine 2024. We're so excited. We are a women's ministry, right, Women in the New Evangelization, and we're going to be promoting, as we do every year, we pick particular saints when we're in Italy. Sometimes it's Catherine of Siena, sometimes it's St. Clair of Assisi, sometimes it's St. Scholastica. There's so many to choose from. And this time, because we're going to be in northern Italy, flying into Milan, spending a lot of time along the beautiful Lake District, and then heading over to Venice, we are going to be learning more about the life of St. Gianna Beretamola in her town of Magenta, and then going down to Mother Cabrini's town, St. Mother Cabrini's town, Francesca Cabrini, just south of Milan, and learning more about her from the sisters there. So we have all the information, of course, at ctscentral.net. Kelly has it posted on her homepage at catholicvineyard.com if you're interested in joining us on the Wine and Tribe pilgrimage that's coming up in October. Okay, so the show again today, Thomas Williams at 8.35, Dr. Greg Popcheck at 9.15, and then Chris Alar, Father Chris Alar from the Marians at 9.39, all about Ash Wednesday and Lent. Let's give you an idea of what the weather is going to be like if you're heading outside. First, if you're in the southeastern Michigan area, as I mentioned, it's in the upper 20s right now. Beautiful out there in terms of the skies, very clear. And it's going all the way up to 40. Tomorrow, partly sunny and 37. Some clouds and snow on Thursday, but a high of 39. So any snow we do receive will not be around for long because it's above freezing. Partly sunny and 32 on Friday and more normal temps over the weekend. 30 on Saturday and cloudy Sunday. 37 degrees and partly sunny. And then next week looking very nice to start. 39 and partly sunny on Monday and 42 and partly sunny on Tuesday. Nationally, we have a nor'easter getting set to impact the mid-Atlantic and the northeast. The storm bringing strong winds and heavy snowfall from the central Appalachians through southern New England, which could damage trees, power lines, and disrupt travel as well. And then they're looking at coastal flooding that's expected along portions of the east coast. The storm will move into the northwest Wednesday, bringing areas of heavy rainfall to the coastal areas there and heavy snow to the Cascades. So the east coast, if you look at the map, all kinds of crazy wild colors indicating, well, to put it very simply, some crazy wild weather as well. Let's take a look at the news. It's 8.09 on a sunny Tuesday morning, Fat Tuesday, the day before Lent begins on February 13th. Let's get started. The remains of five late-term aborted babies in D.C. will not immediately be discarded, possibly, as Catholic News Agency reports, allowing an autopsy to be done to determine whether federal law was violated by the abortionists responsible for their deaths. The halt on the cremation of the babies came just before the D.C. Medical Examiner's Office, which has been in possession of the remains for some two years now, was set to discard them on Friday 
in defiance of calls by dozens of pro-life groups and federal lawmakers for an autopsy and investigation. The Religious Freedom Law from American Center for Law and Justice announced on its website Friday the office's intent to preserve the remains in response to demand sent to the office. The secular pro-life group Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising originally obtaining the remains back in March of 2022. The pro-life group saying it acquired them from the Washington Clinic run by Dr. Cesar Santangelo, an OBGYN and well-known abortionist in the city. Pope Francis held an audience on Monday with participants in the General Assembly of the Pontifical Academy for Life. And as Devin Watkins tells us, it's focused on the theme, human meanings and challenges. And in the address, the Holy Father highlighting the importance of the Academy's efforts to explore what is distinctive about being human. Reflecting on the prevalence of technology in all aspects of human life, he pointed out that it is impossible to reject technology out of hand. We need instead, said the Pope, to situate scientific and technological knowledge within a broader horizon of meaning. He offered the example of technology reproducing various aspects of the human person, such as efforts to employ binary code as a digital language able to express every type of information. Noting the obvious parallel with the biblical story of the Tower of Babel, Pope Francis said God's response to the human desire to create a single language is not mere punishment. Rather, he noted, God confused human language as a kind of blessing with the purpose of countering the tendency to force all people to think exactly the same as others. Artificial intelligence, or talking machines as the Pope called them, can never be endowed with spirit, and so technological advances must take place in such a way as to prevent the disfigurement of what is human. The Pope went on to say that the main task of anthropologists is to develop a culture that by integrating the resources of science and technology is capable of acknowledging and promoting the human being in his or her irreducible specificity. And we're learning more about the woman who used an assault rifle to shoot parishioners at Joel Osteen's megachurch in Houston. We do have some anti-Semitic writings that we have uncovered during this process. Police Commissioner Chris Hasig saying there was also a sticker on her weapon that simply read Palestine. The gunman has been identified as Genesee Moreno. The 36-year-old has used a male name in the past, but police stopped short of saying that she may have been transgender. She brought a 7-year-old boy along with her. He was by her side and was shot in the head. Police say the child is now clinging to life in the hospital. The U.S. does not support Israeli military operations in the Palestinian city of Rafah until there's a plan to protect civilians sheltering there. We do not support any, any military campaign in Rafah going forward as long as they cannot properly account for the uh, 1.1 million people by some estimates who are in Rafah today. State Department spokesperson Matthew Miller pressed by reporters this week following a wave of Israeli attacks that killed dozens of Palestinians. Miller says there needs to be a credible humanitarian plan before a full-blown military campaign in the city goes forward. Israeli forces did free two hostages who were held by Hamas. The IDF announcing that a wave of attacks have been carried out in Rafah, about 20 miles southwest of Gaza City, as part of a mission to rescue hostages. John Fink tells us an expert is now weighing in on last week's deadly military helicopter crash. The helicopter crashed in the Cleveland National Forest last Tuesday night. The Marines confirmed dead were stationed at MCAS Miramar in San Diego. Timothy Loringer served with the Marines for five years. He's now a private pilot and attorney. He tells NBC7 the weather alone should not have caused that crash of the training flight from Las Vegas to San Diego. These aircraft, the CH-53, are designed to operate in extreme environments and in weather conditions that other pilots might decide is too intense for them. According to Loringer, the crash report from the Marines will take at least a year. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin expected to make a full recovery after he was hospitalized over the weekend for an emerging bladder issue. Secretary Austin currently remains hospitalized at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center and is in good condition. That's Major General Pat Ryder telling reporters yesterday Austin transferred his powers to Deputy Secretary of Defense Kathleen Hicks. A 70-year-old retired general has been treated recently for prostate cancer and was admitted to the critical care unit. He will not travel to Brussels for a meeting on Ukraine this week, and it's not clear how long he will be hospitalized. New York City officials say they are prepared for up to eight inches of snow heading into the city and are urging New Yorkers to do the same. Mayor Eric Adams says it's been some time since the Big Apple has seen such a major snowfall. Uh, We have not had any significant snowfall for quite some time. 
In fact, it was amazing how little salt we had to use last year. Uh, but, you know, the time has come. You know, Mother Nature does what she wants to do. And he's urging residents to stay home due to anticipated slippery roads, which are already starting, poor visibility and strong wind gusts. The city's Department of Sanitation, by the way, issuing a travel advisory. And these New Jersey residents, meanwhile, are reacting to what could also be the first decent-sized snowstorm for them in a very long time. We are really excited. We like to build snowmen. We like to have fun. We like to drink hot chocolates. Not looking forward to the snow. It's a shame because it's been nice the past couple days, like the past week. Again, the storm started overnight, but parts of the region expecting up to a foot of snow when it's all said and done. The storm also impacting northern Arkansas, Oklahoma, and parts of Missouri and Kentucky. Former President Donald Trump endorsing head of the North Carolina GOP, Michael Watley, as the next chair of the Republican National Committee. In a statement, the former president said the RNC must be a good partner in the presidential election by helping to ensure fair and transparent elections across the country. He also supported his daughter-in-law, Laura Trump, to serve as co-chair. Current chair Ronna McDaniel expected to step down following the South Carolina primary at the end of this month. Lisa Taylor tells us Uber, Lyft, and DoorDash drivers are striking across the U.S. just in time for Valentine's Day tomorrow. Drivers' groups said Monday they're seeking fair pay. This is the first strike call since Uber and Lyft went public in 2019. Groups said drivers are going to picket outside airports and Uber offices. The Justice for App Workers Coalition, which represents about 130,000 drivers, said drivers wouldn't provide rides to and from airports between 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. in 10 cities. The NFL is open to Las Vegas hosting another Super Bowl. Here's Commissioner Roger Goodell, who praised the city yesterday. The hospitality here, um, you outdid it. Uh, and uh, I think uh, safe to say the NFL looks forward to coming back. Kansas City Chiefs, of course, beating the 49ers from San Francisco in overtime in the first ever Super Bowl to be played in Sin City on Sunday. New Orleans is up next as a host of Super Bowl 59. Santa Clara will then host Super Bowl 60, followed by Los Angeles hosting Super Bowl 61. Speaking of the Super Bowl, this year's Super Bowl was the most watched telecast ever, according to the research. Sunday's matchup between the Chiefs and the 49ers drew an average of 123 million viewers across all platforms, with CBS drawing 112 million, the largest audience in history for a single network. Over 200 million viewers apparently watched all or part of the game across networks as well, up 10% from last year, which previously held the record. And finally, in our news segment, we'll actually have a couple more stories for you this morning. February is a time to celebrate Valentine's Day. And as Rebecca Hughes tells us, it's also nationally recognized American Heart Month. And she has some information on how to keep us heart healthy. Heart disease, which refers to several types of heart conditions, is the number one killer of both men and women, with one in five Americans dying from it in 2021. Dr. Timothy Mines, medical director with MedExpress, says with heart decorations everywhere, it's a perfect time to raise awareness. Risk factors for developing heart disease include your lifestyle, age, family history, and high blood pressure, smoking, or high cholesterol. He says it's important to know the signs and symptoms to help prevent a heart attack. Not everybody gets the chest pain in the middle of your chest, especially women. Sometimes it can be pain in the upper area of the body, especially left arm or sometimes stomach, neck or jaw or back. Mine says seeing your doctor for a yearly checkup can help you make changes to prevent becoming a statistic. Some 380,000 Frigidaire refrigerators under recall after reports of plastic in the ice buckets. The side-by-side fridges with slim ice buckets sold between November of 2015 and September of 2019. Two injuries have been reported so far. Recalled model numbers can be found at Frigidaire.com. And Phil Hewlett tells us a new study revealing nearly half of the guys out there, well, apparently they're getting a little help writing their Valentine's Day love letters. 45% of all American men will turn to artificial intelligence to write love letters this Valentine's Day. According to McAfee Research, 27% of women will do the same thing. This comes at a time when more adults are concerned about what's real and what's fake. Last year, only a quarter of all Americans enlisted AI to write their Valentine's missives. 
It is a a Tuesday morning. It's February 13th. Tomorrow is St. Valentine's Day and also Valentine's Day, but most importantly, it is Ash Wednesday. Tomorrow we begin our Lenten season. Today is known as Fat Tuesdays. You can go and get your punchkis down on Hamtramck. For those of you who don't know what punchkis are, who live outside of Michigan, you probably know what they are now because they really caught on and have spread across the country to other communities, especially those who have wonderful communities as we do in the Detroit area of Polish immigrants because it's something that the Polish have perfected really as a treat. And what they do is is the tradition is at this time of year, gathering and trying to clean up the kitchen of all the you know gooey stuff and good stuff that you can't eat during Lent. And then he created these beautiful pastries. They're not donuts. They're not stuffed donuts. They're a very special type of pastry that are deep fried and have different fillings. Now, I've done so many live shots from different bakeries in Hamtramck. If you've never been to Detroit, it's a beautiful Polish enclave in the city, and they have wonderful restaurants and bakeries and used to allow us to go back and do live reports. And I think my favorite are the custard. I haven't had one in years, though. Even the supermarkets make them now, but I just think the best are the ones that are made right there in good old Hamtramck. So go out and enjoy your punchkis or your cannolis or whatever you love to have. But remember, Ash Wednesday and Lent begin tomorrow. We'll be right back on Catholic Connection. Already 821, sunny out there and 29 degrees on a Tuesday. You are listening to Ave Maria Radio. Stay tuned. Beckway Door is a top provider of garage doors as well as home entry, patio, and storm doors. Locally owned since 1978, we give free, no-pressure quotes at prices 20% lower than most competitors and often provide same-day service for garage door repairs. Mention Ave Maria Radio for 10% off the replacement or service of your garage door or the installation of new exterior doors. Visit BeckwayDoor.com. That's BeckwayDoor.com. The Heart of the Interior Life with Elizabeth Jingle. St. Ignatius of Loyola introduces the sixth rule of his 14 rules for the discernment of spirits, calling to mind the directive of the fifth rule. In the fifth rule, St. Ignatius directs us not to change our spiritual decisions or proposals when we are in a time of spiritual desolation. The sixth rule states, Although in desolation we should not change our first proposals, it is very advantageous to change ourselves intensely against the desolation itself. The call in the sixth rule is to change ourselves, to change ourselves intensely against the spiritual desolation. We are not called to passively endure spiritual desolation, for God's call in the time of spiritual desolation is always to resist and fight against the desolation with strength, trust, and determination. How will you change yourself against the desolation? For more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. The Bench Pub in Livonia, how can I help you? Is your chili really as amazing as you claim? Yes, sir. Made with fresh Eastern Market beef and our secret blend of spices, our recipe even won the West Virginia State Chili Championship. It's so popular, we only have one bowl left today. Oh, wow. I'll be right there. Homemade award-winning chili, only at the Bench Pub on Five Mile Road in Livonia. Mention Ave Maria Radio for 10% off. Father Benedict Groeschel. I often go back to my childhood. In church, we love to be reverent to Christ present in the Eucharist, to Christ on the cross. But I was also impressed by the reverence of my friends in the Salvation Army. They had a little band, and I used to walk past the band on Sunday morning on my way to church. And I was just a child, but I said, you know, they're trying to pray to God. They're showing reverence to God. All this was reverence. Now what do I see? I hear one irreverence after another. And week after week, month after month, the media churns out things that make fun of religion in general and make fun of Christianity in particular and particularly make fun of the Catholic Church. No class. Absolutely no class. EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic. Welcome back at the Connection. It's a Tuesday, day before 
Ash Wednesday, day before Lent begins. Hope your day is going well and hope you uh, are having a really, I think, peaceful day today, an enjoyable day today. And every day is a day we rejoice and be glad. As Christians, tomorrow is Ash Wednesday, beginning of Lent. So where did Lent come from? Where did it begin? Well, we know it's scriptural, right? And we know it relates to Jesus and 40 days in the desert. But there's some other interesting background information that I just thought I'd share with you on this Tuesday morning at 8.25. But before I do that, just a reminder, if you are just tuning in to our February 13th edition for Catholic Connection, we are going to be talking with Dr. Thomas Williams. He's a theologian, author, and speaker, and a teacher based in Rome. And he's written a few articles about some of the challenging things coming out of the Holy See, the Vatican, including the document on blessings. And he'll dive into it in terms of Pope Francis not receiving constructive criticism and pushing back against constructive criticism on the document. We're also going to be talking to our very own Dr. Greg Popcheck. Of course, he's a co-host of More to Life and the executive director of the Pastoral Solutions Institute and the director of the Patent Institute for Domestic Church Life. So Greg is going to be joining us regarding a study that they just concluded at CARA at Georgetown. Now CARA, of course, is a center for applied research in the apostolate. And he's taking a look in this particular report about the factors that enable Catholic parents to raise faithful adult Catholic children. He says, sadly, only about 15% of children raised in Catholic households grow up to be faithful Catholics, faithful Catholic adults. And they identified families, and this is going to be really, really important and interesting as well, who buck the trend successfully, raise most, and in many cases, all of their children to a faithful adulthood. How do they do that? Inquiring minds definitely want to know. I know I do. They interview both their parents and their faithful adult children to identify the faith practices and family dynamics that led to their success. And surprisingly, this isn't some like major discovery. He says the findings are practical, doable, and relevant to every family who wants to raise faithful children. And he also points to a glaring and frankly catastrophic omission in the church's current approach to evangelization and faith formation. So this is going to be a super interesting conversation as always, with our very own Dr. Greg Popchek, again, co-host of More to Life, author, teacher, therapist, and executive director of the Pastoral Solutions Institute, also the director of the Patent Institute for Domestic Church Life. And then last but not least, can't wait, and Father Chris will be picking up on some of what I'm talking about this morning, Ash Wednesday and Lent. Of course, he is a well-known priest who has a wonderful ministry with the Marians of the Divine Mercy Center out east. You see him regularly on his programs on EWTN and his books as well. So a real jam-packed full show today, Dr. Thomas Williams, Dr. Greg Popchek, and Father Chris Alar. Okay, back to the background of Ash Wednesday. Of course, and this is according to a very well-written magazine article that I found, Ash Wednesday is linked to Easter. After all, it marks the beginning of the Lenten penance period that ends on that important Christian holiday. But even though the Easter story takes place in biblical times, the traditions of Ash Wednesday are not quite that old. Now, as I mentioned, when we think of Ash Wednesday, we think of our Lord's 40 days uh, right in the desert. The practice of Ash Wednesday, though, according to the church, dates back to the 11th century. And we see that in the book of Daniel in the nine chapters, there is a line about associating fasting with ashes. So ashes are associated with penance, which is a dominant theme of Lent. And it actually goes back to, I believe, the 11th century. And the most familiar Ash Wednesday observance, the ash cross worn on the foreheads of many churchgoers, hasn't always been acknowledged, though, by all branches of Christianity. And it wasn't until a few decades ago that the tradition became widespread in the United States. What is interesting, though, about Ash Wednesday, if you noticed, that many people are now actually, many Christians are now very involved in that practice of wearing ashes on their forehead. So when did the practice of Ash Wednesday begin? As I mentioned, it began in the 11th century. I believe it was in 1091 under Pope Urban. And from that point on, it became what you would call a regular practice in the Catholic Church. And it's obviously from the, the uh, palms that were used in the previous Palm Sunday. And I think it's a great way When you get those ashes, because we think that, oh, everybody knows what Ash Wednesday is, even if they're not Catholic or even Christian. 
But you will be surprised when you, and you've probably had this happen to you, when you do go to Mass or go for a service to receive your ashes at church, and then you walk out, especially let's say if you do it early in the day before work or before you're running your errands, you end up at the grocery store or the gym or wherever you're going, and you inevitably will have someone come up to you and tell you, um, I don't mean to be rude, but you've got dirt all over your forehead. That's happened to me countless times. And it's kind of surprising because, again, as I mentioned, you think that most people know, being that, of course, especially in our area in Michigan and southeastern Michigan, we have a lot of Catholics. We have some 300 parishes to begin with, not to mention a lot of wonderful other uh, Christian churches that are here, evangelical churches as well. And so you would think that most people know. But because we are living truly in a post-Christian society, this beautiful practice that, as I said, dates all the way back in the Catholic Church to the 11th century, is not known by everyone. Don't just assume that people know why you are wearing ashes. And use it as an opportunity to witness. I've told you since we got back from the Good News Cruise, and even while we were on the Good News Cruise, and by the way, we have a great lineup next year at goodnewscruise.com, that many people on the ship, because we were about a quarter of the passengers who were on the Adventure of the Sea, so that ship has, I think, something like mm, three, 4,000 people, and we had 850. So we had a good chunk, but we weren't the whole ship, and we're working toward, God willing, a charter in about two years. But we were a very joyful bunch going to Mass every day, and they noticed a lot of priests walking around, and they would wear their collars, and we had 14 priests with us to help us with confessions and to celebrate Mass, including Archbishop Nauman from Kansas City. Amazing. And so many people commented or would come up and would ask questions. Something you know, as simple as, what's going on with you people? Obviously, you're some sort of Christian group, but you're so happy and joyful. And so that would give us an opportunity to witness to what we were doing there and why. You know, what did the lanyard mean? Good news cruise. Why were we going to Mass every day in droves? Why were they seeing so many priests walking around the ship? And now, come tomorrow, there will be a lot of us walking around with ashes on our forehead. Hopefully we're prepared to answer the question of why there are ashes It looks just like dirt to people on our foreheads. What will we say about the tradition in the Catholic Church? What will we say about Jesus? What will we say about Lent and the time of Lent? And how we're called to restrict ourselves from treats and and to really go into a sacrificial mode more than we normally do. It is a beautiful time. There's always time to evangelize. But when things are pretty obvious right in your face, such as the ashes on your forehead, don't let that opportunity go by. I guarantee there will be someone tomorrow, once you get your ashes, who will ask you about it and kind of look at you oddly. And even if they they don't ask you about it, if you're in the grocery store or the gym and they stare at you, you might want to say, hey, I know you've been looking at me. Do you have a question about something? Engage in a friendly conversation about what that cross made of ashes means. Yesterday with Dr. Ray Grendy, we talked about another survey that came out, another report on the feeling of hopelessness among young people and how many young people, and we're talking high school and college, are now using alcohol, drugs to cope. They feel a sense of not only loneliness, but hopelessness. And Ray said, and again, we see this all over the place, when you push God out of everything and you don't give them any reason for living, then they feel they have no other choice but to turn to drugs and alcohol. So who knows how you getting ashes tomorrow and wearing them on your forehead will touch someone. Don't be afraid to engage in even just a short conversation with just a few little facts about Ash Wednesday and its history. But also, not only that, why are you entering into this season and taking it seriously enough to go to church and get ashes on your forehead? People are longing for a connection. They are longing 
and they're hungry for God, even if they don't know it. So this is a very obvious and in many ways an easy opportunity to evangelize about the most important one in our lives, Jesus. Enjoy the day today on Fat Tuesday. Lent begins tomorrow. It's 8.35. We'll be right back. always appreciate the work of my friend, Dr. Thomas Williams. He's a theologian. He's an author, a speaker, and writes quite frequently for a number of publications, including Breitbart, covering religious issues, covering Rome, because he's based there with his amazing wife, Dr. Liz Lev, both of them, the two of them together. Brains all over the place, extremely brilliant people who share their gifts with God and the faith. And I always say, if you're doing a tour of Italy, if you're going on your own, now we use Liz Lev all the time, but if you're going on your own, She's your go-to person. And if you can't get her because she's so busy, get one of her guides because she's trained them and so they're awesome. What's also awesome is having the theology and the good teaching of our friend Dr. Thomas Williams, his many books, and of course he's still teaching in Rome, as I mentioned. But Thomas, I, I'm, I always like to turn to you to, on how we're supposed to handle what's been coming out of Rome lately. It's, it's just very, we, we love our Pope, we pray for our leaders, we respect the chair of Peter, but how do we as Catholics who are trying to live our faith and be witnesses deal with some of these things that are coming out of Rome? You just wrote a very good article, and the title is Pope Francis Blasting Those Who Oppose Blessing Gay Couples. It's very frustrating because the people who are coming out and respectfully criticizing that document are some pretty prominent people in the church who are well-respected. So let's give us a summary of, of the article you wrote on uh, Pope Francis' response to the criticism on the document. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Oh, it's wonderful to be with you, Teresa. It was a very frustrating moment, I have to say, for me as a, as a believing Catholic who does love the Pope and love the church, um, because it seemed like, like Pope Francis was being a little bit disingenuous in the way that he... He described the situation. He said, you know, there are, there are these priests that have no problem at all in blessing some capitalist who exploits his workers and, and takes advantage of people, and yet has a problem blessing a gay person. And the fact of the matter is nobody has a problem blessing a gay person. That's never been an issue at all, and no one has, has raised that. And it seems disingenuous to me because I think he must know that that's not what the problem is. That's not what the real stink is about. Uh, it's really about blessing the couple. That is the whole problem. Um, the problem lies when a couple comes forward and presents itself as a couple that's defined by a living of sexuality that's outside of what the church teaches and then wants to be blessed as a couple. Um, now, Fernandez, Cardinal Fernandez, who is the prefect of the congregation, what was the congregation for the doctrine of the faith, now mm-hmm. the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith, um, said, well, we didn't say anything about blessing unions, but the, the original document does say blessing couples, and it's a really fine line distinction between a couple and a union. And it's very hard for people who see a couple being blessed to say, oh, it's just a couple, not the union. Um, but they're, they're a couple because of the union that's a union because they're a couple, so what difference does it, it make? Exactly. No, it's, well, it's something that the, the previous prefect of the congregation, Cardinal Buller, came out and said, these new magic words they're using to try to change the the nature of blessing. He was very upset, and actually gave a very thorough, very scholarly response to that original uh, fiducia supplicans document that came out of the Doctrine for the Faith uh, about the blessing of of gay couples, and and said, this is just, this is untenable. This is completely contrary to the Church's constant and ongoing teaching. Um, And and obviously he's right about that. Um, And unfortunately, we also know now that Cardinal Fernandez, when he put this document out just before Christmas, by the way, um, he did not consult any of the other theologians in the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith. So in other words, he basically did it, did it just on his own. We presume, um, because the Pope asked him to, find a, basically saying, find a way to make this, uh, that we're able to you know, take care of these couples. And I, I know that Francis does it in good faith. He, he wants to show that no one is beyond the mercy of God, that everyone... Uh, deserves or, or, you know, can be blessed, which is all true in terms of the person. What can't be blessed is something that by its nature cannot be conformed to the will of God. And, and that's the case of a couple that defines themselves by uh, this relationship that they have. Uh, and, and so that's where the whole problem is. 
Well, the, the quote that you use in the article from the Italian Weekly magazine up front in pretty much the, the second lead paragraph where he says, I don't bless a same-sex marriage. I bless two people who love each other. And I also asked him to pray for me. But saying he blesses two people who love each other, isn't that acknowledging that relationship? Well, it is. And, and, and part of the reason it's so frustrating, so as you probably know, and I, your, your jurors probably know, uh, the African bishops right. unmasked. The entire continent came entire continent. we are yeah. not going to do this. The entire continent. And so what happened was the leader of that, the, the uh, pan-African uh, bishops' conference, went to Rome to speak with the Pope, and he ended up meeting with Cardinal Fernandez, and they together drafted a document saying that the, the African church would not be blessing same-sex couples. And then when they asked France about it afterward, he said, well, you know, because culturally they don't like homosexuality because they think it's ugly. And, you know, I, I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> you know, that's not really fair. Uh, it's very patronizing to talk about, you know, the backward Africans, if you will, that, that think that homosexuality is ugly. I mean, I think the, the fact of the matter is that we all, I mean, I think anyone sees the ugliness of something that is, you know, that's not in agreement with the will of God and something that is that is unnatural in a, in a in a way. Thomas Aquinas famously said, it is something that people, right-minded people, will look at this and see it as something that's ugly, because it's, it's something that is distorted, it's disordered. Well, he seemed uh, to infer there, and Deacon Dom and I were looking at that line, and that stuck out to us as well, that, well, wait a minute, we, we love the sinners, but we, all of us, we all sin, uh, we love the sinner and we hate the sin, in terms of there are teachings in the church that say, I'm, I don't have to tell you this, you're a moral theologian, but that sexuality, that gift that God has given us, when the two become one is between a man and a woman, and there's a particular place for it. That is in a sacramental marriage. We just taught the OCIA class on Sunday about this with the documents and everything. And so what is he saying with that? And, and nobody, as you said, Thomas, is going to say that, that people with same-sex attraction or anyone. We do blessings all the time. Dominic blesses people. I was talking to Father John Ricardo about this. We bless. Why was this document necessary? This is the thing that is that I find uh, so, so curious, because nobody was going to stop anyone from blessing people, right? Right. right. No, and, and the church, that's the constant practice of the church has always been to bless anyone who asks for it, because you suppose the goodwill of a person who says, please bless me, Father. I mean, we all say that when we go to confession, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It, it's just part of our makeup as, as Christians and as Catholics. The problem is when you come forward again as a relationship, it's like coming forward as you know, someone who traffics in, 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 you know, in, in prostitution and says, I do this, please bless my work. I can't bless your work, all right? right? And I can bless you, but not that work that you do. And if you're going to come forward and that's the way you're going to identify when you want the blessing, I'm not going to bless that, right? And in the same way, two people, the individuals can come up and receive a blessing. It has nothing to do with their attractions or even with their sins, even with the Whatever they might do, that's not the point. They can receive a blessing. What can't receive the blessing is that couple itself as a couple. And I, and I think that, I think that a lot of people intuitively get that. I think Catholics, you know, run to, run to the, run to the pew Catholics, as we say, they all understand that. They know that God's mercy extends to everyone, but mm -hmm. the church, you know, that document that the CDF put out in 2021 was so clear about that. It said, you know, the church doesn't have the authority to, to, to bless a gay union because not even God can bless sin. Mm -hmm. We can bless people, we can bless all these good things, but something that is presented as its sinful character, God can't bless that. Right? Well, all he can do is he can remove sin, he can take it away, he can forgive it, but he can't bless it. We're talking with Dr. Thomas Williams from Rome, moral theologian, author, and speaker regarding the document Fiducia Supplicans, which came out in December and a follow-up piece at Thomas, and one of the many he's been writing since then, and a very good one. We'll put a link to it on our website uh, at Catholic Connections Archive section. And again, the title of the article is Pope Francis Blasts Those Who Oppose Blessing Gay Couples. Now, getting back to your headline, Thomas, and this is someone, as a news person, this really strikes me, because who's telling him what's going on? Because Africa is a huge continent. And there is so much good coming out of Africa. I mean, there's a lot of persecution, horrible persecution, especially in Nigeria. But in terms of the faith, it's growing like crazy there. And I would think that the Holy Father, and I'm just asking the question, would have respect for the leaders of the Catholic Church based just alone on what they're going through and, and, and how they stand true to the faith. 
And yet there must be the circle of people around him, the emperor's new clothes, who are telling him, oh, people are fine with this, it's no big deal. As you said, the entire continent of Africa, not to mention many here in the U.S. and other places in Europe are saying, no, we're not going to do this. Who's talking to him about what's really going on in the response in the Catholic Church? Yeah, this is problematic on so many levels, Teresa. And, and, and the Pope said, you know, not, not many people oppose this teaching. It's just some ideologically driven few. But then he says that at the same time, knowing that, again, the entire continent of Africa, all those bishops and all those priests, there's, there's huge opposition to it. And they represent what he has always said from the beginning of his pontificate, to reach out the, to the peripheries, to reach out to those on, on the sidelines. Africa is in many ways... Uh, the peripheries incarnate. That is the peripheral church, if, if, if there is one. Uh, and, and as you say, we should be listening to them, asking them, you know, what are your concerns? I remember very well a couple of years ago when they the, the first synod on the family, and they were talking about homosexuality, they were talking about all these different things. And the Africans who came to that synod were very, very frustrated and said, my seminarians are being burned. We right. have We have killings every week of Christians just because they're Christians in Africa, and all you can talk about is who's sleeping with whom and what, what the right. problems are here. He says, really, the Church has bigger problems than this, mm-hmm. and, and it does. And the world, again, why aren't we talking more about marriage, which is suffering, and fewer and fewer Catholics even are getting married. They're, right. they're, they're living together, they're having children, they're doing, but they're not getting married sacramentally. They're missing out on all the grace that God intends. Why isn't our focus there on putting forward these super positive and important things, that message that, that Catholics need to hear. That's kind of my frustration, is it seems like we've got all the wrong priorities right now. We're focusing on things that are, that are really inconsequential or even negative, rather than bolstering those really important messages that the Church is so good at. And we're see, we seem to be twisting and turning every, every which way to try to conform to the world, which is exactly what causes so much problems in the first place, especially back in the 60s and 70s. So I always like to ask experts like yourself, because it can get very frustrating. We respect our Holy Father. We recognize him as the duly elected vicar of Christ. But how do we respond to this in love for the church and in love for uh, Peter, the vicar of Christ, right? Well, one thing that I, the first thing I tell myself when I get frustrated, when I get angry, when I you know, am tempted to get cynical about the situation, the first thing is, how much do you pray for the Pope? I never pray for him enough, and so it's always my first response is I have to pray for him more. It's my duty as a Catholic and a faithful son of the Church pray for the Pope every day. And I think that if we all do that, your your attitude changes when you're really praying for someone, when you're wishing every good thing for them, and, and that God will, will strengthen them and open their eyes and help them to be wise and to be prudent. I think that's the first thing. The second thing is we have to remember those words of St. Peter when he was, he was so frustrated, didn't understand what's going on. And, and when Jesus said, do you want to leave me too? And, and Peter said, Lord, you have the words of everlasting life. Where do we go? Shall right. we go? Mm-hmm. We're not going anywhere. The church is, this is our church. It's because it's Jesus's church. And we love the church and we will stay in the church and we'll stay firm in the church regardless of the difficulties that she suffers at this time. And, and I think that we can also offer up the suffering that we feel because of this, this problematic leadership that sometimes we have, we can offer that up also together with Christ's sacrifice on the cross, and it becomes something redemptive, not only something that we can you know, be negative about, but something that actually brings about salvation and the redemption of souls. And I also think, too, when we talk about it, to do as we are doing this morning, talk about it respectfully and understand that in church history, you know, there has been other many, many times, and you know this as a theologian and someone who's looked at church history extensively, again, there, there are ways that we can disagree. This is not something that, for example, is right from the chair of Peter. We're speaking you know, in terms of magisterium that we have to believe or follow. This is, a, you know, this is a document. This is a blessing document. But we can disagree with this. We're talking about life or, or marriage here in terms of marriage between a man and a woman. So it's important also to remember what we do have to accept as Catholics, versus, okay, this is something the Pope has said, this is a statement, but it does not pertain to the main core teachings of the Church, correct? Absolutely. And, and it really shouldn't shake our faith. It, it can make us sad, and mm-hmm. it can make us frustrated. I think that that's legitimate. We can take that to, to our Lord in prayer, and, and He certainly understands. 
Uh, but at the same time, it shouldn't shake our faith in the sense like this is not make it or break it. If you don't believe in this text and the blessing of, of gay couples, then you're not Catholic or a good Catholic. This is not something that is taught, as you say, from the chair of Peter. It's chair not of Peter, something right. that, uh, that, is, that is part and parcel with the, the, the doctrine of the church. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's not a doctrinal text at all. So it's a question of, of discipline and practice, and it's something that any other pope can very easily overturn because it is just a question of, you know, this can be in certain circumstances. And, in fact, there has been a lot of backtracking on it when they've been asking. Yeah, well, they said we didn't get a chance to talk about it when they sent out the press release a few weeks later, which is a sure sign that they didn't do their job in the first place in terms of explaining it well enough. Thomas, we have to have you back on. We're out of time. Dr. Thomas Williams, check out his great work and, of course, his many books and also articles, especially on Breitbart. We'll be right back. Ciao, my name is Antonio Ruggiero, and if you're in the mood for some real authentic Italian food, Antonio's is the place. We have awesome pizzas and calzones, and old school dishes like spaghetti carbonara alla buccelli, and polenta, and signature dishes like chicken Antonio that will bring your memories back to Italy. We have great authentic food, friendly service, and a wonderful atmosphere, all for a great price. So let our family cook for your family. Antonio's Cucina Italiana. Fire on the earth, Peter Herbeck. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. And one of the things that he meant by that was the Christian people understand the larger story that's unfolding in history. So as St. Paul said, as the saints echoed very clearly, we're now living through just a, a short moment, a slight momentary affliction, he calls it, in this life, which is going to make way and lead us to an eternal glory beyond all compare. The secret to the fruitfulness and the strength of the apostles was that they lived with a clear vision of the future, an eternal perspective, fixed on the destiny of where their life was headed. And they lived with the realization that, wow, yeah, life is very short here. Everything is temporary. Nothing here in this world is ultimately going to last except the ultimate destinies, the eternal destinies of every human being that exists on the earth. And they knew that whether good things were coming their way or bad things from the world's perspective were coming away, nothing could steal from them, nothing could take away the gold that was in their heart, the treasure that they bore. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Peter Herbeck spreads fire on the earth weekday mornings at 6.30 and again at 11.45 on 990 Ave Maria Radio. Stay tuned. You don't want to miss the rest of our program this morning on a Tuesday, Fat Tuesday. We are going to be talking with our very own Dr. Greg Popcheck about new information regarding keeping your kids Catholic. And then we'll wrap up with Father Chris Alar with some background on Ash Wednesday and Lent and some suggestions as well. Stay tuned. More Catholic Connection. Come on your way on Tuesday, February 13th. <laughs> 